0: Oh, Uh, a dangerous time on the day of the Grand Final. For those of you out of, uh, uh, out of uh, Australia, the Grand Final is like the, uh, uh, what is it, the World Cup or the Super Bowl of Australian rules football. And it's a national holiday and everything stops. And uh, the Melbourne team won. I can't remember what their name was. <laughs> 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 so um, now, yesterday we had a uh, working bee here, in which uh, lots of people came out and did seva around the grounds. And um, you know, Baba often said that seva was the the highest path, service, and to work in the ashram, to work for the Guru is really full of shakti, and everyone experienced that. Uh, and had veggie burgers, and then uh, all kinds of things, and everyone gave their opinions, and I told them not to be opinionated. That was very good, that was very good. I never knew you to be opinionated. Anyway, I thought I'd show you some uh, pictures from from yesterday. See if you can see, can you see? You can't have there's, uh, yeah, the painting, painting the statue of the... That's b- the famous morning of the artist. Yeah, it's like art. Right, what else do you have? That's the famous cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I say, Aspirational, the aspiring cult leader As long when people learn to listen to me, then I'll become a real cult leader. Okay go on that was great. And next great. <laughs> Is that it? Okay, very sharp, very nice. <clears throat> so people are so enthusiastic. They want another one, and uh, so I think we'll we'll put a, a general one in um, after we get back from India, which will be probably in February. This will happen. Um, it's not too hot, <clears throat> but. Um, be, feel free to come and do Seva uh, at other times. All you have to do is see uh, uh, Gargi or Girish. If you like to do gardening um, and other kinds of Seva, come, uh, sign up for it and come out on a... What day is a good day? Any day. Any day is a good day. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What were you saying? Saturday morning is good. Saturday morning is good, yeah, then stay for Satsang and so on. So, um, did I say subko? No. I always like to begin my programs as uh, my guru, Baba Muktananda, began his by saying in Hindi, sabkho barisanmanekesat pemse ardhik swagat," with great respect and love. I welcome you all with all my heart. And Baba, uh, Baba had a genius for... for um, So getting to the essence of things and illuminating them. And he would say, the essence of spirituality is to welcome other people with love. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. Of course, you have to welcome yourself with love first. And for that, we do satna, we practice. So now on it's it's become a tradition of mine On the day of the grand final, uh, I always think, what program should I do on the day of the grand final? Because it's always on a Saturday, isn't it? So it's always the day of a program. And uh, various ashram-related people are in various states of hysteria, (laughs) depression, hopelessness, (laughs) despair, or even worse, uh, uh, exaltation. (laughs) That's even more horrible. Um, but, and so I thought, I always do, traditionally on this day, I turn to Zen, my favorite Buddhist practice. Calm, serene, and poised Zen. So tonight I'm going to join the teachings of Suzuki Roshi. Uh, Suzuki Roshi, one of my favorite sages, he, uh, he blazed a trail from Japan to America. He came over to America in 1959, Uh, was one of the first uh, Eastern teachers uh, to come to America. He founded a Zen center uh, and he, he taught till his death in the early 70s. So here's Suzuki Roshi. You can kind of see his cuteness. Go on. There he is. That's an unusual shot, great, huh? What else do you have? Ah, there are Zen practitioners. (coughs) Um, Staring at their devices. (laughs) This is a a sashin or a, a, a long meditation which they do wall gazing, they stare at the wall. And with their eyes, they sit with their eyes half, half open. That's the way they do it in Zen. Uh, but a great stress on on meditation, a wonderful tradition of meditation. So <clears throat> now, let me see. I want to say a few things about Buddhism and Suzuki Roshi. Uh, Of course, Buddhism began in India with a dude named the Buddha. Um, and he was uh, a, a great yogi about 500 be- years before Christ, and he practiced many yogis. He was born in, in uh, very favorable circumstances. He was a prince, uh, uh, and he was the heir to the throne. and. Uh, many great things, but then uh, he started to be troubled by the big questions of life. What's it all about? Who am I? What's going on? And traditionally they say uh, he'd been shielded from the harsh realities, from particularly old age, disease, and death. His father had uh, become warned by an astrologer that if he he found out about these harsh realities. He would leave the kingdom and be, and go off in search of God or search of enlightenment. So the father shielded him from all that and yet on one fateful day uh, he was uh, surfing the internet <laughs> and he came across all these things. And <clears throat> so he, he realized that he would die, he would get old, and he would get sick. And then when he saw that, he said, what am I doing just sort of enjoying myself in the kingdom when life has all this, these difficulties, I have to go get to the root of it so I can overcome this suffering. So he went off and he practiced uh, and he be- eventually after many, many adventures and vicissitudes, he became the Buddha or the enlightened one. He sat down under a tree. And he said, I'm not getting up until I reach enlightenment. And that's what happened. And he became one of the world's great, great teachers. Then uh, uh, in the, let's see, when was it? I don't remember, about the 6th century or something, uh, there was a, uh, a, a great... I always want to say a yogi, but a, a Zen a Buddhist, a, a Buddhist, uh, a Buddhist uh, practitioner uh, who um, named Bodhidharma, a bit of a wild man, a crazy yogi, and he went from India. He brought Buddhism to China, and China had the tradition of uh, of Taoism and so on, but he brought. Uh, Buddhism there, and it got mixed up a little bit with Taoism. but the central thing was meditation. Uh, And then a few centuries later, in the 13th century, uh, a Japanese fellow named Dogen uh, went to China to learn meditation. And he learned uh, Buddhist meditation there, which he then brought back to Japan, and it became Zen comes from that, so it all begins in India, moves to China, it goes to Japan, Um, and the founder of Suzuki Roshi's lineage is Dogen. Dogen Zenji, they call him, Uh, and um, so that's he's going to refer to him in this talk. Let me just say one more thing: Bodhidharma uh, is connected with what they call the four slogans. And I think this tells a lot about what Zen is about. These are the four slogans and they are, one called a special transmission outside the scriptures. So it's not about reading scriptures and becoming learned in that discursive way, um, but it's a direct tradition of guru to disciple. So that, and if if you study Zen, you see that everything is about gurus and disciples. It's all direct teachings. It's not people studying scripture. It's direct teachings from the guru to disciples. That's the first one. Second point from Bodhidharma, no dependence on words or letters. There's a profound um, distrust of concepts. So that's a very good good, uh, talk for tonight. Um, They don't like... uh, Zen, Zen Buddhists don't like to theorize. They hit you with their stick instead. They have sticks, they hit you with the stick. <laughs> you start to give a theory whack. They want you to go direct to the truth, not to make up lots of mental uh, gymnastics about. Uh, third one is called direct pointing to the mind. So that's the experiential part. Direct point, that's meditation to turn in towards the mind. Uh, And fourth one is seeing into one's nature and attaining Buddhahood. So practicing the inner. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's a direct seeing through meditation uh, and discovering our Buddha nature. And according to Bodhidharma and according to Dogen Zenji, Our Buddha nature is not something we have to create. It's always there. It's just that we haven't known it and we haven't looked for it, we haven't discovered it. And so, meditation is to discover our Buddha nature. Now, Dogen Zenji was, uh, was, he he had a problem with um, the issue that some of the teachers had said that we always have Buddha nature, so it should be there. But then others said you must do practice and do practice. So there's a split between these two things. What are you doing practice for if it's already there? Uh, as Baba would say, getting rid of what you haven't got. Uh, it's, uh, this is, I think every yogi Uh, comes up against this sort of paradox. Uh, We're told that we already are the self, yet we're told we have to work very hard to attain it, and so we have to put all this together. So in Zen they say that practice and enlightenment are one. Practice and enlightenment are harmoniously related. They're one thing. As soon as you practice, you become one with the Buddha. If you sit in that posture, let's all do that. Sit there and now you're one with all the great yogis who've ever meditated. You become one with that whole line So many, in so many traditions. They've turned within, they've found the secret key to reality by turning within it, turning towards the inner self, the inner being. And when you sit there and you say, oh, my mind's a mess. It's running here, it's running there. My emotions are a wreck. I'm full of hatred and fear and depression. doesn't matter. When you sit in this posture, you become one with the Buddha. So practice and enlightenment become one. Uh, it's a Zen idea. So this is um, from Suzuki Roshi's great book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I didn't even press my clock, so now I have another extra 20 minutes. (laughs) I know when you started. (laughs) I shouldn't mention it. Anyway, Suzuki, uh, this is the last chapter in the book, and he's talking about an overview. Remember, similar to what we do, in a sense, we're pioneers. Um, we've gone uh, we've gone to uh, the East, and we've learned certain methods and techniques. We're connected with an Eastern lineage, and we brought that back here to this culture where it's little understood, a little known, uh, and it's taking its own form. So when Suzuki Roshi got to San Francisco, he discovered. Uh, many things, but one thing is there was a lot of interest in meditation, but that all the the, the Americans there didn't look at it quite the same way that the Japanese did, and so he thought about all this about how does the the wisdom because the wisdom doesn't belong to a particular culture, it doesn't belong to India, it doesn't belong to Japan, it belongs to everyone. Everyone has Buddha nature. Everyone has the inner self. So this is humanity's wisdom and those places may be repository, particularly India is the repository or the birth of this, this great wisdom, but it belongs to everyone. <clears throat> so um, here's what he says. He says, here in America, we cannot define Zen Buddhists the way they do in Japan. American students are not priests, and yet not completely laymen. It's different cultures and different attitudes towards it. I understand it this way. It's easy to see that you're not priests, uh, but that you are not exactly laymen is more difficult to see. I think you are special people and want some special practice that is not exactly the priest's practice, and not exactly the layman's practice. You are your own, you're on your way to discovering some appropriate way of life. I think that is our Zen community, our group. That's a profound issue is how to integrate this great teaching. There are many reasons why it, it can't be exactly the way it is in India. I've given a lot of thought to this myself, of course exactly the way it is in India and yet there's tremendous hunger for it and tremendous interest in it here too and it takes different forms and you can't be too inflexible about it. But we must also know what our undivided and original way is and what Dogen Zenji's practice is. Let's put aside the idea of enlightenment altogether. Enlightenment is a, a problem. Maybe some of us will attain enlightenment and some of us won't. <clears throat> this is beside the point. The point is that we have the same Buddha nature and the same fundamental practice. If we practice in the proper way with the right attitude and understanding of practice, then that is Zen. So he, then we're doing sadhana, we're doing Zen. The main point is to practice seriously. And the important attitude is to understand and have confidence in big mind. Now, big mind is what we would call the self. Because what is big mind? Small mind is the mind that's in your head, rattling, filled with ideas and thoughts and opinions and and also emotions. That's small mind. Everyone has small mind. But behind those small minds, there's consciousness itself. And all of our minds participate in consciousness. And that consciousness itself is the self. It's who we are in our essence. So that's big mind. And so behind all of our particularities, there's this universal. He says, we say big mind or small mind or Buddha mind, which is big mind or self, so, or Zen mind. These words mean something, you know, but something we cannot and should not try to understand in terms of external experience. We can talk about enlightenment experience, but it's not some experience we will have in terms of good or bad, time or place, past or future, It is experience or consciousness beyond these distinctions or feelings. So enlightenment is not in the realm of experience. It's not in the realm of thought. It's not in the realm of emotions. It's not in the realm of events. It's in another realm completely. And when we practice, we do meditation, we come in touch with a higher realm. When we say, I had an experience of the Shakti, what we're really acknowledging is a higher world, the world of the Shakti. Most people don't know anything about that world. But we become sensitive to that world, then we know to that experience of Shakti, then we know there's something beyond merely physical. So he says, so we should not ask what is enlightenment experience? That kind of question means you do not know what Zen experience is. Enlightenment cannot be asked for in your ordinary way of thinking. When you are not involved in this way of thinking, you have some chance of understanding what Zen experience is. And one uh, Buddhist teacher talked about spiritual materialism. I always joke about it. I like spiritual. I like people running up mantras, doing a million mantras, and I love it, uh, but it's half humorous. Uh, spiritual materialism is applying physical thinking to the spirit and they're in a completely different realm. You can't think of enlightenment as an acquisition of something. But you do, it's inevitable that you think that way. I'm going to acquire this thing. Or I'm going to earn this thing. Or someday this thing will happen to me. Maybe if I'm very, very good. You know, it'll happen, or it'll happen by chance. Who knows? He says, the big mind in which you must have confidence is not something which you can experience objectively outside. It is something that's always been with you, always on your side. On this side, it means, inside. Your eyes are on your side. You cannot see your eyes, and your eyes cannot see themselves. Eyes only see things outside, objective things. So the experience is back here, and it's always been with us, this experience of self. If you think about yourself, that self is not your true self anymore. Because you think about it, you objectify it, and and that's not the self. You kind of project yourself as some objective thing to think about. Well, you can do it, but then you're not really contemplating the self. They're only thinking about the self. To contemplate the self, you have to turn within to the experience of your beingness. It's a feeling experience. The mind which is always on your side is not just your mind, it is universal mind. Always the same, not different from another's mind. It is Zen mind, it is big, big mind. This mind is whatever you see. Your true mind is always with whatever you see. Although you do not know your own mind, it is there. At the very moment you see something, it is there. So consciousness is always with us, whatever, it's always behind it. We we ignore it, we don't notice it, but it's always there behind all experience. If we weren't conscious, If consciousness were not our nature, we wouldn't experience anything. So consciousness is the unacknowledged uh, background of every experience. He says, uh, this is very interesting. (laughs) He says, your mind is always with the things you observe. So you see this mind is at the same time everything. Consciousness is everything. True mind is watching mind. You cannot say, this is my small mind, my limited mind, and that is big mind. That is limiting yourself, restricting your true mind, objectifying your mind. Now, this is real Zen stuff, okay? I'm not going to try to explain it. And so if it irritates you, that's good. Bodhidharma said, in order to see a fish, you must watch the water. Actually, when you see water, you see the true fish. <laughs> if you go to Zen school, this, you learn how to speak like this. Ah, yes. Grasshopper. <clears throat> Before you see Buddha nature, you can watch your mind. When you see the water, there is true nature. True nature is watching water. Okay, we'll just pretend that paragraph never happened. <laughs> When you say my zazen, zazen means sitting meditation, my practice, is very poor. Here you have true nature, but foolishly you do not realize it. You ignore it on purpose. My zazen is very poor, it's impossible. Because one of the concepts, the great concept in Zen is the idea of shikantaza, just sitting. You sit there like the Buddha and it doesn't matter what arises. Your mind might torture you. It might have a cascade of thoughts and fantasies, hatreds and, and uh, sentimental rememberings and terrors and whatever comes up, it doesn't matter. You're just sitting and whatever arises, Baba would say is the play of consciousness. <clears throat> so when you say, you can't say your zazen is poor because it is what it is. You're having the meditation that you're having, whatever it is. Perfect. Perfect meditation. The hysterical meditation. The hatred meditation. The resentful meditation. The terrified meditation. The I hate myself meditation. Have you done that one? Have you done the I hate myself meditation? Have you done? I hate that person. Meditation. You done that? All right. <clears throat> oh, that. <laughs> Have you done the blissful meditation? I'm sorry. I just. I'm from New York. This is where we go. We go there. Have you
1: What? 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 I
0: missed. <laughs> All right. All right, yes. Uh, uh, There's immense importance in the eye with which you watch your mind. That eye is not the big eye, it is the eye which is incessantly active, always swimming, always flying through the vast air with wings. By wings I mean thought and activity. The vast The vast sky is home, my home. There is no bird or air. Do you understand? You cannot find Buddha nature by dissection. Reality cannot be caught by thinking or feeling mind. Moment after moment, to watch your breathing, to watch your posture, is true nature. There is no secret beyond this point. So Zen is always the enemy of the discursive mind, of analyzing things, blah, 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 blah thinking about, thinking about, you have to directly experience. So if you just turn within and just be with whatever is, without analyzing it, it maybe good feeling, maybe bad feeling, maybe expanded or contracted. You may be burning or blissful. That's Zen, it's just to be with that. Okay, I'm not going to get through everything. This is a long talk. What shall we do? Keep going, going. we'll keep going. We Buddhists, and tonight we're Buddhists. (laughs) You know, Buddha, Buddha was a yogi. He was a Hindu yogi, a great one superb, maybe the greatest. He was so great that he had his own group and they formed their own religion. But that's if, you if you're a really great yogi, If people form a new religion around you. But he's really a yogi, he's a Hindu. That's what Baba told the Karmapa when the Karmapa, the great Tibetan saint, visited him. He told him the Buddha was a Hindu. He said. And, the, and the Karmapa Moppa just smiled. <laughs> Can't say anything. <clears throat> so we Buddhists do not have any, have any idea of material only or mind only or the products of your mind or mind as an attribute of being. What we're always talking about is that mind and body, mind and material are always one. That, that consciousness and matter are intertwined. That consciousness is a, just as uh, uh, energy and so on a part of the experience of matter, so consciousness is also a fundamental part of matter. Everything is underlined by consciousness. He says, but if you listen carelessly, it sounds as if we're talking about some attribute of being, or about material, or spiritual. That will be a version of it, maybe, but actually we're pointing out mind, which is always on this side, which is true mind. Enlightenment experience is to figure out, to understand, to realize this mind, which is always with us, and which we cannot see, to get in touch with self, get in touch with self. Do you understand? You see a bright star in the sky, it will be beautiful. You may think, ah, this is enlightenment. But it's not enlightenment. That understanding is literally heresy. The magpies win. There is a momentary feeling of enlightenment. But it's not true enlightenment, because tomorrow they will lose. Not, to, not tomorrow. Even though you do not know it, in understanding the start of the enlightenment, you have a material understanding only. This is people who, who are experienced mongers looking for particular spiritual experiences. And then they see the blue pearl or they see Krishna dancing. And they say, ah, that's it. But it's not. It goes. It comes and goes. Something behind that. Dozens of your enlightenment experiences are like that, some material only, some object of your mind, as if through good practice, you found that bright star. This is the idea of self and object. It is not the way to seek enlightenment, not by seeking particular experiences. The Zen school is based on our actual nature, on our true mind as expressed and realized in practice. Zen does not depend... On a particular teaching, nor does it substitute teaching for practice. We practice zazen to express our true nature, not to attain enlightenment. That's a, the important. That's the important thing. That's the way he, Dogen Zenji dealt with it. He he was too, he was a striver and he was striving for enlightenment, and finally he saw that just by sitting in meditation, becoming one with the Buddha. That was it. He didn't have to do anything. He just—he was, instead of seeking enlightenment, he was expressing his real nature. So it's a wonderful way of thinking about your meditation. When you sit to meditate, you're making a great statement about who you are. You're saying, I am the self. I am one with all the great yogis, the great meditators who have ever been. And by sitting in meditation, my life has become meditation, sadhana, and yoga. And that's, uh, it's, it shows great value, great, uh, uh, great self-worth. So I just exp- I'm expressing who I am by meditating. Wonderful thought, isn't it? <clears throat> it's your expression. Bodhidharma's Buddhism is to be practice, to be enlightenment. At first this must be a kind of belief but later it's something the student feels or already has. Physical practice and rules are not easy to understand. Maybe especially for Americans you have an idea of freedom which concentrates on physical freedom, on freedom of activity. And He goes on. I'm going to I think I'm going to stop here, um, cause it's longer than I thought. Let's see what I'll get. I'll go. I'll skip a few pages. He says, "Big mind is always with us. The self is always with us. It's very important to remember that." See, when Baba said that it really registered in me, and I would always say that to myself, that the self is always, because I had previously the model that the self was some far off thing that I have no knowledge of, and I would attain after many years by magic or something. But Baba convinced me that it was here, always, and no matter how crummy I felt, it was still there. I could, in principle, get in touch with it. He says, that's why I repeat the same thing over and over when I think you do not understand. Zen is not just for the man who can fold his legs or has great spiritual ability. Everyone has Buddha nature. We each must find some way to realize our true nature. The purpose of practice is to have direct experience of the Buddha nature which everyone has. Whatever you do should be the direct experience of Buddha nature. <clears throat> Buddha nature means to be aware of Buddha nature. Your efforts should extend to, to saving all sentient beings. should be kind and compassionate. If my words are not good enough, I'll hit you. <laughs> then you will understand what I mean. So let's let's do it, let's move our arms from here to here, remembering our Buddha nature. You think you can do that? Come on. Come on. This is, you're doing this, remembering the Buddha. Okay. And if you do not understand me just now, someday you will. Someday you will. Someday someone will understand. (laughs) I'm very patient and can wait. He's very cute. I feel Americans, especially young Americans, have a great opportunity to find out the true way of life for human beings. <clears throat> so the, the teaching is fresh in our culture. Young Americans means us also. <laughs> us young folks. you're quite free from material things, and you begin Zen practice with a very pure mind, a beginner's mind. A beginner's mind is not weighted down with theories and concepts and opinions and ideas and books that you've read. You can understand Buddha's teachings exactly as he meant it. We must not be attached to America or Buddhism or even to our practice. We must have beginner's mind, free from possessing anything, a mind that knows everything is in flowing change. So you don't even bring in, I'm a long time meditator. I'm good at this, I'm I'm, I'm an old timer. You don't bring in those, every time you meditate, It's a new thing, your beginner's mind. It's fresh. Nothing exists except momentarily in its present form and color. One thing flows into another and cannot be grasped. So everything changes. Only something behind it is always there, and that's consciousness. And now we end with a little Zen haiku of Suzuki. Are you ready for this? You have to hear this with some other part of your brain. Before the rain stops, we hear a bird. Even under the heavy snow, we see snowdrops and some new growth. In the east, I saw rhubarb already. In Japan in the spring, we eat cucumbers. that great or what? So now we'll meditate. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And so we'll do Zen meditation. Zazen. We just sit uh, and Whatever comes in meditation is fine. There's no problem with doing it right or wrong. We sit quietly, we turn within, and we become with all the great meditators that have ever been, with the Buddha, with Muktananda, with Bhagwan Nityananda, with the thousands and millions of sages and saints, of all traditions who sat within, who looked and sat and turned within, and knew their own self. And each one of them had a mind, and in every mind there was a flow of thoughts. And in every heart there was a flow of feelings. And all the thoughts and feelings that you have, one of those sages was having also. It doesn't matter, you just allow whatever comes up. Just allow whatever happens to happen. Just be with whatever arises. That's the perfect meditation. Whatever meditation you have is the perfect meditation. Just be one. And as you do that, and just sit and allow whatever happens happen, you'll discover that you sink deeper into yourself. It happens automatically. You don't have to strain for it. Just by being with whatever arises gradually, the mind will quiet and you go deeper within. And so let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Dr. Maharaj Kije, let's meditate for 10 minutes.